must be like the Wolf Pack, not like Six Pack. Teamwork. Yes. Hello and welcome to another episode of There's No I in Podcast, a podcast about teams, being in teams, running teams and generally getting the most out of your team. Uh, I am Mark Johnson. I am a performance maker and a performance teacher and I am joined as always with my teammate, uh, sports coach Sean Gallagher. Hello, Sean. Hello, Mark. How are we? I'm really good. How are you doing today? Very well. Sun is shining. Beautiful day. Loving life. I really loved last week's chat with uh, Daniel. That was an immense one. So good. So good. So knowledgeable. So informative. Uh, so even if you didn't have a clue about SNC beforehand and how that kind of relates to teams and teamwork, hopefully you did after the episode. Completely. And he speaks so eloquently about his work and the importance of his work uh, that I think we absolutely have to have him on uh, again don't you think it would be amazing yeah if we can get him we will definitely try uh, so we said uh, at the end of the episode that we were keeping with a sports theme that is absolutely the case we're talking to Cara McCartney today Cara is director of netball at an independent school she has uh, played and coached at a bunch of different uh, levels she's also coaches for help me out Sean uh, Roundwood Roundwood Netball Club. So some really interesting stuff about how she negotiates getting good at your game uh, and the shift that comes about when you know you get promoted to the next level. I think what we'll do is we will jump straight into Cara. There's loads and loads uh, that we get into and we hope you enjoy. Team. Team. So uh, we have the great pleasure of welcoming on today uh, Cara McCartney. Cara is the director of netball at a leading uh, independent school in the southeast of the UK. Hello, Cara. Hello. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, I uh, gave a brief intro there, mm -hmm. but if you wouldn't mind just telling us a little bit more about yourself. How have you got to, to, to where you are now? What's your journey been? Um, so obviously I've played sport all my life um, and uh, started off kind of being one of those children that just got thrown into everything by my parents. <laughs> Um, then it was, you know, as every school girl does, they start playing netball um, and fell in love with that, fell in love with lots of sports, actually. And it wasn't really until I got to university um, that my hand was actually forced in terms of choosing a sport. I had gone to three trials for three different sports, um, naively thinking I could play all of them at university. But um, I went to Loughborough and it was a bit of a shock when I turned up at Loughborough and uh, yeah, realised how seriously they took their sport. And uh, the netball trials just happened to be first. And I got into their first team, which was great, a bit of a shock, if I'm honest, um, especially as at the trials, there was sort of one of the, the Commonwealth Games medalists from that, that summer <laughs> on the court wow. next to me. And, you know, that, that was just, you know, I, I was completely out of my depth, really. But anyway, um, loved university netball, um, really fell in love with the sport at that point from a performance level and then carried on playing a uh, sort of Premier League netball. Um, as I say, uh, I ended up captaining in my final year, which was great. We won the Booster Championships, which was amazing. But it was only really when I left university and sort of was just kind of going into my first teaching jobs that I realised that it was the coaching side that I absolutely fell in love with. My first school was a state school. Um, and I took on the netball teams there just because they knew I was a netball player. Um, and then that's where the coaching career built. I did my level two coaching qualification, obviously met some really great coaches along the way. And then the coaching just grew and grew and grew. And by word of mouth, people were asking me to come and do little bits and pieces. Um, and then I was approached by a club who wanted a full time coach. Roundwood Netball Club. They were just in a Croydon local league, so they were they were good within Croydon, but they had no idea really what was outside of that. Um, and so I took them on, started doing a bit with them, and gradually over the years we've managed to get up to the London and Southeast Regional League now. So we've kind of had back to back promotions, which has been amazing. And yeah, so I'm coaching there. Obviously, school wise, I've just recently left my last school where I was at for 11 years and have now moved across into the private sector mm. and have now taken on that director of netball post there. So very, very, two very, very different worlds where actually the end goal for the netball performance was the same to yeah. get to national finals. Yeah. 
that's uh, that's super interesting uh just the already the way you're talking about like this thread of netball being this constant through a real kind of swing from side to side and and it sounds it sounds like we're going to talk about your experiences of playing and coaching where the intention the aim has quite a quite a different level mm. we've spoken to people who coach teams that play for fun we've spoken to people that coach teams that play for olympic gold medals it sounds like yeah. you've gone nearly across that entire spectrum over the course of over the course of teaching and coaching yeah yeah yeah. and I guess that's one of the I mean uh, Sean will know that one of the biggest challenges of of, of teaching PE physical education and sport is that you end up having to do all you Mm. have to do sport for all and make sure that the the students are enjoying it but you also then have that pressure of the elite performance for students which is is to represent a sort of a national level um, and have success there so yeah it's, it that that's always always a fine balance to, to strike and always an interview question as well how are you going to do both yeah, yeah. Um, and if there was an easy answer we'd all get every job we go for but you know it, it's it's that juggle really in schools for sure 100 percent, 100 percent. um hi cara <laughs> first and foremost <laughs> thank you so much for uh coming on to the podcast um and yeah just as mark said there like what a strand going all the way through from kind of playing through uni um and then up to where you are now in that director of netball post a lot of success within that journey um a lot of success you know is is your mindset always been kind of on that winning side of it or is it something you had to develop and have the people around you and the players around you and other staff around you always kind of had that similar winning mentality and you've just continued that through or is it something that's kind of been developed and worked on and changed for you internally from club to club school to school etc um i think it changes ever so slightly when you go into the different environments um, for me as a, a as a player i always wanted to win um and i remember quite clearly one Tipping point for me was I, I thought I was invincible as a youngster. I was playing <laughs> sort of county netball, county lacrosse, county athletics, and I was just going to trials and getting in. And I literally thought I was invincible. And then one year I'd got in a year early into the county netball team and I turned up to trials very, very cocky. Um, I thought I was going to breeze through and I didn't get selected. Um, and it was a coach back then that kind of just made me pull myself together and was like look you put down that you could play three positions they don't want that (laughs) I wouldn't be a specialist like she really cut me down and um you know she told me at the time it's character building I thought it was the end of the world um and I've kind of harbored I've I've kind of held on to that in everything I do now in that you know whoever you coach no matter if you're the best player you need you need a sense of reality. You need sometimes to be pulled back down. And and that whole essence thing is it's a team. And if from that year I wasn't meant to be in the team, then I need to look at how I grow, not wonder why I didn't get right. in. Um, and so that carries through through all the teams. Um, but yeah, I, I do go into things expecting to win. Um, and if we don't win, this is more of my senior sort of club stuff where they're all adults. Um, yeah. You know, if if we've worked hard on something and the players don't put that into place, play in the at the weekend in our games, in the regional games, then yeah, they do fall short. And we do have sort of quite frank conversations about performance and, and where it went wrong. Um, and it's sort of team team accountability and team responsibility. Um, that slightly differs when you're in school because obviously you're you're dealing with children, um, essentially young adults, um, and and that kind of environment changes. But the the competitive or the competitiveness stays. I, I'm known for being very competitive, mm. and actually my new school now, the the program and the coaches I'm working with at the top end, we're starting to shift a little bit more. In you know in as far as I've changed the block fixtures or the teams we're playing because we need to play better teams if we're going to get better. Just little things like that. I'm not massively making massive changes, but what's the point in winning? You need to learn from losing. So I do make, I've made the, the fixtures the fixture schedule a little bit more difficult for next year because that's a, a key part. That's really interesting. And I, want, I, I, I don't know if it's possible for you to talk more about that, but as a competitive person, with an expectation of winning in setting people up to lose for the purposes of Mm. winning later. How do you support that as a coach? Because we've talked a lot about failure being super important for growth, particularly as a team. How do you simultaneously coach, you wanna be winning this, but Mm -hmm. also we're gonna lose? (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah, it is. It's really difficult, and it, it's it's uh, it's one of the hardest things about coaching. I think. Um, I think you go in and and get your team to buy into the fact that you are looking at a process rather than the outcome. So, uh, an example I'll give you is a school based um, scenario. So, I have a very talented year group at the new school I'm at um, and I purposely made a fixture where I knew we weren't ready we weren't going to probably win we, it was going to be competitive but this team was a, a more established team um, and I'd only had my hands on this team for a, a couple of months and I told them what I wanted to see from them on the court and at no point was there any reference to the score at no point was there any reference to the winning it was right as a defending unit you need to have done this on that person and if they start doing this to you then as the shooters you need to you know you need to stop them from being able to do this move and everything was very very processed within the units and again with netball I don't know how much you know about netball but there's obviously seven players on the court at any time normally a squad of about 10 up to 12. Um, and again, those off the court are part of that unit. So when we come off at half time or quarter time, my two defensive players that might have been on the court stand and talk with the other two maybe defensive players that are also off the court and they have a unit chat mm. about what's going well and what's not, not going well. I was going to say, how do you review that process of those those adjusted targets but if you've got those eyes that, mm. that kind of analysis that's running you're you're actually coaching yeah. an, a, a, an additional skill there as well I guess yeah that so the players in my squads that I mean there've been players in the past that are not team players or that have not built bought into my my way of working within my team but certainly that's what I would expect you to do if you're on the bench mm. um my players know there's no space for egos. Um, I don't care if you're the best player. Um, if you're not going to sit on the bench, I know we all want to be on the court, but if you're not sat on the bench doing your job of looking after that unit or noticing what could be going better for the team, then, and again, I'm talking adults here, yeah. not my school children, but you know, there's no place for that person on the team. And it's very much a buy-in philosophy. Cara. I hope. I think. <laughs> no, definitely. Um, just just on that, do you think even the specific nature of a sport like netball and basketball would kind of be the same? Um, the high intensity of it, the, the, the lack of numbers actually on court at, at one time, compared to maybe something like rugby or football. Substitutions are kind of done very late on in maybe football or rugby, you know, whereas netball, it's so fast pace is there actually just even a practical difference of girls being on the bench ready and raring to go because it is so fast paced and you you may be changing you know every quarter yeah it could happen at any time yeah 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 and definitely um yeah you watch football it's sort of the 87 seventh minute and they're putting a person on to just get like five minutes of, yeah. of, of Find, pitch time finding his shin pads finding his shin pads yeah. that he's had the, you know <laughs> Yeah, where they feel there's no role to play. Exactly. Um, yeah, netball's different in that sense in that it could be, you know, it could be seven, eight minutes into a quarter. And if the squad knows something's not going right, someone would be selfless and call time. There's a kind of a tricky rule in netball at the moment in that you're not allowed to call time unless there's an injury. Um, right. But every, it, it's a well-known thing within all teams that players will fake an injury to call time in order to for you to be able to make substitutions yeah. to change your change your units um but yeah substitutions are made fairly frequently in netball but there are times where if something's working similar to football you might not make a, a, a substitution you know you might might let that seven play it out um and that's difficult on a school level because when you are at the higher competition so national schools finals you have to have those conversations with players before the tournament that aren't going to get that much court time and say you know you may end up on the court and playing all day but you also may not get on court because something is just working and it's that's hard mm. Cara how how many how many not not a specific number here, but is there any? Have you had standout individuals who have very much known their place within a team and know that physically, athletically, you know, they're not going to be the best player and they're not going to play four quarters, but have been an absolute pivotal part of your team and know full well their role. And how important is it to have those type of individuals in your team if you have? I think NFL would call them the locker room guys. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And do you know what? I, I, there, there are those people and they are so valuable. And I think for me, I share with those people my personal, like I, when I was in my final year at uni, I was made captain. I didn't play in the Busa final. I didn't take one step wow. onto court. 
wow. um, because the the goal defence that had had an ACL injury all season, who was an England player, got fit for the final, and rightly so, she was better than me. But it was quite it was probably one of at the time one of the most embarrassing kind of deflating things because I had to then step onto court, pick up the trophy, and do a thank you speech, and I was thanking people for a great game, and I hadn't played in that game. Yeah. But wow. you have, but you have to know, you have to know your place, and you have to realize that up until that one game, you have been such a big part, and that's kind of I always say that to those people. So the people that have been at every training, the people that have played in like the earlier rounds, or you know, or the or the friendlies that build up to that final, they're just as much part of it. And yeah, those are the people that quite often, if it's a school team, by the time you're in your upper sixth, your final year they're often on the court because they've not missed a training session and they might not have been the best players when you were younger and and lower down, but because they've not missed the training, because they've been on the bench learning and listening to all the other players talking and stuff, they do end up being in that squad and you would never want them to not be in that squad. They're they're key to success without any doubt. Well, I was was thinking back to, and it's done the rounds again quite recently, I think because everyone's work situation has changed so much, but there was that study that talked about a phenomenal talented but uh, toxic employee will Mm. decrease your productivity of your entire operation and so it's actually more beneficial to have cooperative and positive but less good at their job I suppose uh, employees for the sake of the entire organization so the superstar that will poison the group more than a bunch mm. of good to good to great netball players working together will will get you to the final and win. I yeah. And I was wondering if you've seen it up up close. Uh, do you know what? It's so funny that you should say that. I um I had a very talented squad at, at, at my last school, and the first year that they got through as a squad to the national finals, we just won the regional competition, and then. I don't think the rest of the girls would mind me saying that or even the individual themselves would mind me saying it, but our best player, our physically our best player, our mm. goal attack, so a very key person, she has to shoot the goals, was also a very talented footballer and she played for Millwall and she told us the day we got through to the finals that she wasn't going to be able to play in the finals because she had um, <laughs> a football, football commitment. Oh, and I had to manage that fallout um, and the very first thing... I did was obviously the individual herself that was fine we had a chat that was her priority no bad feelings um I I asked her whether she wanted to carry on training with the squad she said she didn't fine my priority was always then the girls Mm. that were and the very first thing I did was to say to them that they cannot have any negative chat about the individual or about the fact that they probably weren't going to do as well what I did was make a road call and bring up a youngster who was two years younger than them who had a bit of raw talent um, and we then just started grafting and I honestly don't think they believed they were going to do well until the the actual weekend itself and they did they came 10th in the country Um, and if you take if you take out the the independent schools we we came first which I like to do because you know I just (laughs) not not (laughs) anymore no not anymore absolutely not anymore that gets us on to another thing that I was I was wondering about is the is the shift in expectations or where those expectations come from when you move from a state school to a selective school at least um whether your role as uh, a coach changes or is, is pulled in a different direction or if you have to shift your expectations or change them upwards even because it is often the independents that are winning the championships yeah it's really interesting um obviously I spent 11 years at my last school and it, I'm still in the same county as my new school so I still play the old school and, yeah. and that's all fine it's very friendly <laughs> uh, you know it, it's fine um but my old school the, the state school um I was head of PE there at, at one point and so I was able to kind of make that whatever I wanted it to be the netball could have been really small or it could have been really big um but there was no one really holding me accountable to what I was providing um so you know we we did have over 120 year sevens turn out to netball club which then dwindled and then goes up again each year and but no one was kind of holding me to that whereas yeah in the new school now independent school every child has to play every child you know they all have to not only come to the clubs and they have their games afternoons but they have to represent the school as well um 
And so the biggest challenge for me, because I know I've spoken a lot about sort of Sorry, is that a school expectation or a, or a parental? Um, both, I think. Both, yeah. yeah. I mean, the school... The, the, the big thing is is how important sport is and, and every child is expected, and this is the school saying it, to um, perform, uh, to compete on a Saturday. To, you know, to, there to are play Saturday for the fixtures. school in some fashion. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the school's expectations is that all the girls play both the major sports, the other being, one being lacrosse. But the girls themselves then, that, that presents me as I've come into this new role is, right, I've got all these students that have to play netball. Are they enjoying it? Have I, you know, I've got to make sure that, you know, this little pocket of girls that wouldn't call themselves sporty, that have hated netball, can I turn that little group around and start getting them to enjoy it? Because they have to compete, they don't have a choice. But on, on the higher level, on the more elite level, the school I've come into haven't performed as well as my old school on a, a on a sort of regional and national level so I almost feel lucky in that I'm coming in with well there's pressure on me because they're, they're expecting me to be able to you know get some success at, at a higher level but their high expectations you've come to them yeah with. but then equally I can see the reason I took the job is because I can see how much talent there is within this school yeah. um, and, and and seeing if I can sort of rise to the challenge with the girls and actually get get some more success there Cara so in your obviously in your previous school you spoke about maybe not having that expectation on you and netball could have been as small as it as it could have done or as big as it could have done do you see like a real benefit in that in any kind of situation you go into and obviously we have a professional expectation but should there also be a level of almost trust as to you're going in there to do the best that you can do with what you have and does that sometimes give you a level of freedom to kind of motivate you to make it the best it can be opposed to having lots of expectations and then feeling though you might not you know you might not make them yeah I think so I don't know where I sit with that one because I quite like having someone not calling me to account, but asking me, you know, or challenging me, giving me, you know, actually you've done well with this bit, but but what about that? I don't think that, I quite like people pulling pulling me sort of different ways and saying, okay, well, this area is quite good, but actually you've done nothing for this group of students or, or yeah. whatever. I guess it depends on personality. I was very lucky in my old school um, as I was building the netball to have other really committed specialists within that department um the thing with the state school is you've got no guarantee what specialisms you have in your department um mm. and and now I know their netball isn't such a big sport because they don't have a netball specialist there anymore they're they're focusing on rugby they're focusing on trampolining um so yeah and no I guess you you gain that freedom by just the fact that you you focus on whatever your specialism is so yeah the trust is there for that because you, you're trusted mm. to to build build from your experience but I personally like someone also calling the shots on ter in terms of kind of setting me more challenges I guess I think it also comes to uh, speaks to and this I guess would have been you from a from a head of PE point of view but it also speaks to this issue of culture and of statement of values about not just about sport but about winning or about participating mm. across a school and across a department because if if there's not that voice that for me as a as a as a drama teacher and a performance teacher if there's not that voice somewhere saying it is safe to take part in all the ways that it needs to be safe for a young person to take part or this is this is what you as a kid can expect from trying to participate if that voice isn't there then the team and the coach are on shaky ground. It's something we raise with educators, the difference between playing the educational value of playing to win and the educational mm. value of participation. Yeah. And how you, it sounds like you're in a unique position to have to balance that at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, I mean, that's something I have fallen in love with at my new school is that the school ethos is the importance on participation is so high. Every single student takes part in sport but 
but the focus is on really on enjoyment and well-being is mm. massive at this new school as well uh, which I know you're you're sort of specialist in as, uh, as well and I feel that that all works together and actually what I'm presented with most days at school is I will turn up and the other big difference is the team of coaches I have around me now at this new school I've got I've got you know I've got 40 students and four coaches which is you know a, a, a lead coach's dream um whereas yeah. the last school would have 120 and just me and a couple of six warmers <laughs> you know so the, the the ability you have you know the potential you have there is massive but the the school's ethos and the school's approach to healthy active lifestyles well-being and sport is is second to none where I'm at at the moment Cara where where you know I I hear I hear schools talk uh, in the same way as you're talking now um, about your current your current school, um, but but in terms of just the practical nature of that, are are you saying that geography teachers, English teachers, you know, economics teachers across the board, the different sports, the rugby coaches, is everyone coming into that environment with the importance of sport? Is it something that is a message that is 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 embedded into every classroom, you know, in every assembly, because it's, it, you know, we talk about this sporting culture, but I think to put it into reality is really tricky and takes a number of years. And so when you walked in the doors, did you just feel it all around? Um, and where are those messages coming from and how consistent are they? Yeah, it's tr- it's tricky. I mean, that would be the, what you've just described is is my idea of a, a perfect school. It it wouldn't I wouldn't say it is embedded all the way through the school, but what is embedded is the um the this well-being and this mental health and how important your physical health is and that is there in everything you do. It's all around the school. It's um implemented in every they call them um, tutor time CPs and you know, even in those mornings like so for example we've moved to being a virtual school um, and the very thing from the moment we got told uh, we were going into lockdown was that our school was not shutting we're just moving virtually so I see my form twice a day um, I, I'm seeing my A-level students and I know lots of schools are doing the same mm. but you know that was never ever anything but the expectation at that school of how you would carry on my team are still delivering virtual lessons so you know we've got our head of cricket delivering his cricket turnouts every night after school um and you've got you know athletic sessions happening we did a virtual fixture with another school um last week um (laughs) a virtual running fixture on strava you know so in a way, I would say I've walked into a really a great school where it is embedded. Um, how it gets embedded over those years, I don't know, because obviously I'm just new in. Yeah. Um, but certainly yeah. that that's where you then can take. The, that's why I feel stepping into that role. The the grassroots is all embedded. You know, the participation yeah. is there. They do understand the importance of sport. They do take part in the sport. All I've got to do now, in my view, is get the get the, the girls enjoying it, no matter what their ability is. And then on the other level to try and get them some some more success at a higher level. So with the virtual, you you, you describe mm. a little bit there the the kind of keeping keeping the activity going. Um, have you put in and put anything in place in terms of keeping the teamwork element going, the sense of communitas or, or something like that? Um, not so much on the netball side because that's off season at the moment so and we had a department meeting earlier on uh, this morning and one of the things we were starting to talk about was we don't know what school sport is going to look like come September right but we need to prepare for it like it is going to be normal and therefore I will for the summer term now start having meetings where we do some team building and we do some little bits and pieces yeah to get the, the girls kind of feeling back in the team but at the moment their focus is their summer sport. So I've not really been mm. doing anything from a netball specific um, focus at the moment. Um, but yeah, it's it's hard at the moment because we don't know what school sport will look like come September. Um, but the, the the team side of it would need to be fostered regardless of how that looks come you know, when, we, when we do return. Yeah, what percentage of the team is likely to look the same as last year? How many, what's the turnover like? Um, so at the, at the top end, the senior level, our current first team, all but one is uh, an upper six that's going to be moving on to university. So massively different. Um, so lots and lots of opportunity for, 
for change there. Um, then lower down the school, sort of your older year groups, so your, say, uh, fourth and fifth years, your under 15s and under 16s, they would probably look similar because they're quite well established. Whereas your younger ones, your under 12s and under 13s, they're very much open for movement. And, and you just don't, you don't know. You don't know which, which students have been training over the summer, who's had a big growth spurt, because I hate to say it, but height really does help in netball. Um, <laughs> so if anyone, if anyone's looking particularly tall when they return to school, they might get moved up a team. Yeah. Whoever's had a, been eating their uh, greens during isolation is in for a good shot. <laughs> yeah. um, if I've got a six foot year seven coming in, they'll be straight in the team. <laughs> Cara, so... So obviously it's difficult for you to to give a full gauge as to your kind of role at the moment because it is such a new role for you. You know, this is uh, from September, right? You've been in that role since yes, September. correct. And then, you know, 11 years at your, previous, um, at your previous school. But then you've also got your club commitments as well with your, you know, with the adult women's team. Are you someone who likes to come in see things that need to be changed and instantly make an impact or do you prefer to see how the ground is laid and uh you know see things out and just have a mental note and write things down and slowly slowly plan for that maybe next year to then make those changes and whichever way you have gone how have you seen that affect the teams that you've worked with um yeah certainly going from a school where you've been for so long going to a new school I've kind of spent this year looking particularly I, I joined three weeks into the autumn term um right. because of maternity uh, various reasons um but um so that made it even more difficult I couldn't have made big changes anyway um but it almost in reflection now looking back it was almost a, a real blessing because everything had got started the old director of netball was actually still in the school she'd had a, a sort of a, a move with internally so and she, ironically she was one of my university coaches so I know her very well on a personal level as well so she's been incredible in terms of she's still been there she's been able to I've been able to soundboard everything off her but I've been able to see how it runs almost this year making a few tweaks and changes but yeah it's given me a whole year of seeing now I'm ready to to come in and start making some changes. And she's actually going to be leaving at the end of this year, um, which obviously I'll miss her greatly, but it almost gives me even more freedom because now I'm like, okay, this is really now my thing. She's been at the school. Start winning some championships <laughs> without feeling guilty. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I kind of, I'm being thrown out on my own next year, which is 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 nice in a way. Obviously I'll miss her massively, but um, yeah, that that's exciting. Um, whereas I took, I take a very different approach with the club netball. When I started at the club I coach at, I did one training session and I kind of went in not really caring how they'd been coached before or what their style was. I just went in and was like, right, this is what I want you to do. This is how you do it. I didn't really care whether they liked it or not. Um, because it was a taster session and you know, that's completely different. And that I kind of go in doing whatever I want, uh, coaching the style I want, because that, that team has now become molded to the way I coach, um and a lot of them haven't yeah and what about that as though so obviously the club was already formed before before you went there so again going back to the whole kind of values and culture that that is a club where people have day jobs you know they're they're mm. not professional so are there things in place that the club have done from the get-go even to when you went in and and things and how things have developed since you've been there that kind of give everyone a reason to be at training every week, a reason to turn up at the weekend. Obviously, they enjoy the sport, but there's just so many other responsibilities as an adult who may have kids, who may have, you know, jobs in far places, travel times are difficult. How does the club uh, deal with those kind of things? Yeah, that's an interesting one too, um, because that's really difficult because when I started at the club, you, oh, you'd probably have talked about it being more of a recreational local level club where exactly that people were juggling lots of responsibilities. It was very much just about fun, friends coming together. It was a real social community and they enjoyed playing netball. Um, gradually, as we've moved up now, um, it's become more serious. The level of training's become more intense. The distance, just simple things like the higher up you go, the further you have to travel. Yeah. You know, yeah. Premier League, I was having to get a flight, you know, or, <laughs> you know, seven hours up to Northumbria or, you know, a wow. flight to Jersey or whatever. Um, so it kind of, it, it kind of self-selects people anyway, because if, you know, I'm looking at now, I've got a little child, I've got responsibilities. I couldn't play the level of netball I used to play 
from a practical mm. level. Um, so I guess the, the, yeah, you have a lot of responsibility in a club because you are dealing with adults with lots of responsibility, but that's kind of gradually changed in terms of expectations, the higher up we've gone. Now I kind of, it's known within the club that the, the top team, the regional team that I coach, we're a performance team. So there are different expectations with that squad than there is if you're in the B or C team where you turn up on a Thursday. It doesn't matter if you turn up or not, you'll still play on the weekend. Whereas here, you're not going to get on court if you haven't been at the training working on whatever set play we've been working on. Um, and I'm sorry if you have a child and they were sick. That just has to be the case. And Cara, have, have, you, put, have you put that in? And where do those conversations take place? Because obviously you don't just magic up we were once an amateur kind of come along for fun and mm. now we're a performance team. So who who puts their hand up and says, hang on a second, guys, we're actually going to take this as seriously as we can do at this level. So, yeah, so you get promoted and obviously that imposes a new level of performance on you guys. Do you then have to sit down and have a conversation to say, are we prepared to take this more seriously? Because you're being promoted for your success, but not necessarily out of choice. You're, mm. you just you just win and move up yeah is it that's a, a, a yeah that's interesting I am the lead coach but I don't own the club and actually the the first year we got promoted from county league to the regional league um which is the one we're currently in now um the very first year that happened the owner of the club decided that the 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 squad that had got promoted automatically regained their position in the club very interesting because obviously you become a regional club, you then attract players from outside. Um, as the regional coach, obviously I want the best 12 players in the squad. Um, and that year was really tricky because I was getting a few players kind of coming to me saying, oh, you've got into the regional league. Like I'd like to come and train and join your club. Um, and I had to actually turn some of them away because the, the owner of the club had said, no, everyone that gained into the regional league earns the right. The the existing group was was integral. The existing yeah. group, yeah, yeah. Um, which, which I didn't necessarily agree with or disagree with. That was her decision. I'm just the coach. So I just sort of got on with it. But certainly we had that conversation at the very beginning. Um, just very literally, you know, Saturday, it's not just going to be an hour's game. We've got two hours to drive, get their warm up, obviously all the prep stuff. Then you've got refreshments afterwards, which is you have to stay for and, you know, that, that happens. And, and, uh, and then you travel home. So, you know, you've got to be prepared to sacrifice your whole Saturday for this. Um, and, and, and yeah, those, those sort of conversations. And you lay out your expectations, don't you? So every season I sit down with any team, whether it's a school team, whether it's a, um, a club team, whether it's, uh, you know, whoever I'm coaching, even if I've just gone and helped out with someone, I would always say, sit them down at the beginning of the season and get them to set out what they want to achieve. What is their goal? Because um, it just helps to refer back to that. Even when the season's going, maybe you have a hiccup or have a couple of bad games on the bounce, you can then regroup and go back to that what you all discussed at the beginning of the season. And it holds everyone, you know, makes everyone realise and remember what they set out to achieve at the beginning of the season. Cara, I think it's really interesting there. You said what they want to achieve opposed to the coach's expectations of what we should achieve. Do you always kind of ask them as a team what they want to achieve this year? Obviously, the coach is going to have an influence on it as well. But is it very much that kind of uh, conversation with the team as to what they want to achieve? And, and have you found that that's been a benefit because then they take ownership of, of the decision? Yeah, definitely. I've always worked that way. Um, I've always put it back on them um, with every team. You know, it, it, it's your team. I'm the coach. I can't go on court on match day. I can't always be there to coach you individually if something's going wrong, particularly during the game. I can't, you know, I can't communicate directly with my my goalkeeper who's at the other end of the court. Um, in netball, you have to, like dugouts in football, you have to stay where yeah. in, in a set place. Um, Which is hard, right? Yeah, I feel, yeah, of course it is. I'd love to be able to go up to my like, player and tell them, right, you're doing this wrong, come on. But no, um, no, I think I've, I've always kind of made it them. Um like my team this season, we had a flying start. We five games, five games undefeated, um, and then had a wobble for no reason. They just started stopping performing, and um, we sat round a table one evening instead of training. And I got them all to write down about each player' strengths, weaknesses. Even better if you know the classic teaching. Like I would, as a player, it would be great if you could do this more or stop doing this so much. And people were brutally honest. Um, 
but I put myself in there as well. So my, my piece of paper was going around and um, I got some really honest feedback from them. You know, things they think I make too many changes or, or don't communicate necessarily with them as to why they've been subbed. And, you know, that, that is the key. They have to have an opinion. That's what drives the team. You had to leave your ego at the door in that meeting then, Cara. Yeah, big time, big time. But I prepped them before. Um, I did suggest, you know, I've done it before and it hasn't worked. So I've learned from experience there where people take it to heart. Yeah. And um, so I had said to them, you know, I've got this idea. I want to try it. Do people want to buy into it? You're going to have to take some constructive criticism. What do people think? Um, and they, they wanted to do it. So, yeah. And then and then the season got cocked. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> they're probably all thinking of the negatives now and not on court but never mind i'll address that next season but it is a paradox that i think kind of occasionally needs to be acknowledged for like a coach or a team leader it is it is impossible for you to expect the group to be invested in something so massively that they want to win and also not give a crap if it's going to change or not have an opinion if if something's not right. You don't get those two levels of investment. You're either in or you're not in. And so you need to learn how to deal with the investment because those are the people you want. Like you were saying at the beginning, you've got to be yeah. that team player. And if that team player cares yeah. about winning, they also care about the team and how things run. And so you need to be able to have that conversation. And we, we spoke to someone about... Uh, they called it, they called it uh, radical truthfulness and radical transparency. Nice. You need to be able to speak your mind to whoever's mm-hmm. there and stand by what you've said, but also be heard and have that person stand by their opinion yeah. too. Yeah. And and that comes down an awful lot to personal skills, doesn't it? Um, you know, one thing I've been really lucky with, and, and I, I said to Nick, knowing I was going to do this podcast, I was like, what do you think of me as a coach? I know he doesn't necessarily, he's not there. He does, never goes to my training sessions. He sometimes comes to the matches. Cara, this is Nick, says, your husband, by the way, just for our this, viewers. Sorry, yes, this is Nick, my husband. Sorry, apologies. <laughs> yeah, so I said to my husband, you know, what do you know or think of me as a coach? And, and it struck me because he, he just said, you managed to get people to do what you want to do, but get them to think that they want to do it, which I thought was really interesting. <laughs> and I guess it's the way our, maybe our marriage works. I managed to get him to do exactly what I want, but he ends up thinking, that maybe I'm just really manipulative. I don't really know. Um, but yeah, I just thought that was a really nice insight into what he sees me doing on a match day. And he sees what I do um, with the various teams. And I think it does come down to personal because It's persuading people to behave and to act and to deliver and to train in a certain way, but not, have them feel like they're being told that's what they have to do it's getting them to think actually i want to train like that i want to be like that and i want to do this for the team so important. Um, so previously we've some people have identified that as uh being tied to the ultimate goal some people have been have tied that to the ownership of community so it's interesting it's interesting it comes back Mm. a lot at the moment but lives in slightly different places for different types of group. And I think when it's the performance group, it's about saying, do we want to win this championship potentially? Uh, And everyone going, yep. Yep. And learning what to do when it's not working. Remember remember (laughs) we said we wanted to win this thing. It doesn't happen without this. Cara, each week we like to ask um, our guests um, about any inspirational coaches they've had because we we definitely believe that coaches make coaches. So is there anyone that's kind Mm -hmm. of influenced you on your journey? Um, I, I would probably go all the way back to school. Um, and I had a very enthusiastic netball teacher called Tony Daniels. And she was a little bit crazy, a little bit off the wall. Um, <laughs> and it wasn't anything to do with her netball knowledge. It was the fact that I must have been about 15. It was a weekend. So there was no school in this, you know, my school was a, a state school as well. So we didn't have any school. I was up at my club playing a netball match and she was there with a deck chair pulled out, ready to watch me play. She didn't have to come. Um, she she was having her weekend. She chose to come and watch me for no reason other than she wanted to see me play for my club. Um, and that's what stuck with me because if you show, you know, that's, that's what I take in my teaching because, you know, people have hundreds of teachers, but if you know a teacher really cares that much about you as a person, 
regardless of whether it's netball, geography, you know, history, whatever it is, it, it's that teacher that you remember, isn't it? The teacher that goes that extra mile. Um, and so for me, she made me realise how much she loved my sport, but also loved watching me play the sport. Um, and I kind of try to take that, you know, in any role I've done, you know, it's a, it takes very little to make a young person or a student feel special no big grand gestures like she did with her, you know, coming up and watching me, but even just a comment or a word, um, you know, we all know about those negative things teachers say to you and they stick, you know, particularly with sport. We have to be so careful with sport. Um, I've seen some terrible teaching in the past where a child's being told they're not good at something that heart, you know, that harbors that manifest, they then never forget it. Um, so I guess, yeah, she would be the person because she was so caring that I will always think of when I think of, of trying to be a good coach. Think careful with your words and make sure you're you're being positive, even if you're being you know even if you're delivering con cr constructive criticism. Yeah. Be nice. What a yeah. way to end. <laughs> that was a great great answer. <laughs> thank you. So thank you so oh, much. Thank, thank you so you much for much. coming on. No, oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for your time. It sounds like you're doing some amazing stuff there. That there's loads loads to look forward to if you're Hope so, if you're yeah. if you're a netball fan. Uh, mm -hmm. That you're doing. Yeah, some interesting stuff as far as lockdown is going. We've spoken to a few people about sports in isolation uh, mm. and no one's quite yet described a fixture. So that's really fascinating. Yes, yeah. Before we cut you off, is there anything you desperately want to mention? No, not really. No, just if anyone is listening that's thinking, oh, maybe I played netball before or I'm just about to start playing netball or anything, you know, whether it's netball or any other sport, it's it gives you so much more than just the sport you know I, I I still you know I still am so involved with it and have been since I was six years old because it is every you know it gives you so much it gives you that social side it gives you the mental you know the mental relief that you need uh, within your week particularly when you're an adult um but it is you know any sport but particularly netball is just so great for the community and and the culture that you then immerse yourself in it's it's so important. I couldn't imagine what I'd be like if I didn't play sport. <laughs> if you'd, if you'd, uh, if you'd got into one of the other teams at Loughborough. <laughs> I know. Yeah. yeah. Competitive darts coach, Cara McCartney. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Cara, thank you so much for coming on. That was really insightful, especially me as a sports coach. You know, I was really looking forward to this one. We've got uh, various different guests that have come on from different industries, but to listen to what you've said there, I mean, it's making me think about my own coaching and, and how I can look to improve, um, hopefully in September when we get back to some normality, <laughs> yeah. we hope. Um, but once again, thank you so much, Cara. Yeah. Goodbye. Be safe. <laughs> thank you both so much. That's been really, really enjoyable. Been great speaking to you both. Bye. 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 phenomenal chat with Caro there really really good stuff um as obviously a sports coach you know I'm always going to be interested in hearing from um kind of my peers uh, and you could see well you could hear sorry the kind of enthusiasm and passion that she has for her sport um and for the art of 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 coaching that really comes across actually doesn't it that that the driving force that is the impact that netball has had on her that she's now trying to communicate to other people. Um, it, it made me think of, you know, that coaches make coaches thing. There are going to be uh, girls, women that are coaching netball in the next generation where it feels like Cara is going to be that person for them, you know? Yeah, definitely. I, I'm sure that um, the, the girls um, and the young women that uh, Cara has worked with uh, in her career so far will definitely have been enthused uh, by her energy and her passion and, and inspired to continue the sport for as long as possible. Because I think as a coach, um, one of the biggest lasting impacts you can have um, is to uh, want the people you work, you work with to continue uh, having a love for that sport all the way through their their lives um, and I definitely think that Cara will have that impact on many many uh, people that she works with um, but I was really I was really interested just by that shift between sort of the state school the independent school and the different expectations there and then also 
the kind of way she works within a school setting and with young people, opposed to how she may work with her her netball club um, that has completely different kind of uh, expectations um, and, and, and a different environment where she needs to adapt uh, how she communicates to that group um, as well. So really, really good stuff. Any sports coaches out there will really enjoy this one. Um, and even if you're not a sports coach, uh, I'm sure you'll get a lot out of this episode. So I hope everyone enjoys and if you are not a sports coach and you're running a different kind of team then i think that our next guest is going to have something uh for you we're going to be talking to uh, rf sergeant kevin casey who has been an in the raf for about 20 years and he's going to uh, hopefully talk to us about what it means to be a part of a team where someone's life is in your hands you know the kind of stakes that on stage or perhaps on the football pitch we're, we're probably not dealing with 100 percent. yeah the stakes are very different um so yeah i'm really looking forward to this one again mark it's going to be really interesting to see again what is the same and where those differences are so that's a super exciting one uh, that's coming up next week sergeant kevin casey of the raf uh, all that's left for this week is to say if you want to get in touch with us, you can at us on Instagram and Twitter, no I podcast. And uh, if you want to email us, you can email Mark or Sean, S-E-A-N, at noipodcast.show. So if you have someone that you want to hear from, if you have an area that you're involved in that you want to uh, us to explore, or if you run a kick-ass team yourself, Uh, drop us a line let us know and uh, we will add you to the list or add them to the list because this has been a really really fun journey so far what do you reckon oh it's been awesome especially doing it in uh you know in lockdown um is uh made a made a huge difference to me especially from a kind of mental health point of view and just uh being able to um you know focus on something outside of work uh, and it's just been really really enjoyable to get to speak to some super interesting yeah. people and one of the things that i yeah i can't feel more grateful for is just how positive these conversations end up feeling like they're all about being your best doing your best pushing yourself in a positive way challenging yourself in an interesting way and uh, at a time when the opportunities for challenge and the potential for feeling like there's stuff that you can do uh, is limited just hearing from people saying this is how i really push myself and other people has has been a great definitely be, been hugely motivating um for myself personally right. and i hope for the people listening um in so, uh, to some extent at least uh, so on that positive and optimistic note uh, Sean, would you like to see us off? G- goodbye, guys. Please continue listening. And from me, uh, from lockdown, from London, goodbye. You must be like the Wolfpack. Teamwork. Yes. <laughs>